Today we're going to start a new series. Uh, based on the book of Colossians, or it's from the book of Colossians in the New Testament, we're calling it Against the Tide. Now, uh, it has nothing to do with the Alabama Crimson Tide, okay? We're, we cannot be against the Alabama Crimson Tide around here. Uh, but, so it doesn't have anything to do with that. But as I researched now this title, you know, it's a, it's a you know, you can just research all kinds of things. Uh, as I researched the title, I came across many interesting books and documents by the same title. Matter of fact, haven't you all felt like you were swimming upstream every once in a while and everything else was going against you? Makes me think about, uh, you know, uh, some of the books that I, I read about, you know, conservatives that were caught in a liberal administration or liberals that were caught in a conservative administration wrote books with the same title, Against the Tide. Uh, but I found a, a book entitled Against the Tide by a guy by the name of, of Richard Trank. And it was interesting because it examined, uh, you know, uh, 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 people didn't realize the extent of the Holocaust going on in Nazi Germany in the 30s and 40s. And in America, Jews were fighting to try to save the Jews from the Holocaust, try to get them out uh, of the Nazi areas. And so this is a book that traces one guy's effort to do that against the tide. He felt like he was fighting and, and nobody wa was understanding what he was talking about. And then just we could bring the Alabama Crimson Tide in and put a picture of the bear up. But there was a Showtime Sports Chronicle did a, uh, a, 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 a show about a, a, a matchup between the Alabama Crimson Tide and USC Trojans in 1970, the very first time that an integrated, a racially integrated football team ever played at Legion Field in Birmingham, Alabama. And Paul Bear, Bear Bryant invited them in on purpose uh, so that because he wanted to be able to recruit black players for his team uh, as well. I don't know uh, how, it, how much, uh, what else was involved in that, but I know he wanted to do that. And by the way, the, 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 the Trojans beat the Tide 42-21 to 21 on that day. They just, just really uh, beat them badly. And the Bear knew that was going to happen, or he knew that there was a possibility that that might happen. So that documentary was called Against the Tide. And I think we all feel that way sometimes, like we're swimming or fighting against the tide. Uh, since we're not too far from... Uh, presidential election, it reminds me that no matter who wins a presidential election, some people feel like they're going against the tide. Uh, when our current president was elected, many Americans felt like, well, there's finally hope. Finally hope for America, everything's going to be great. And then there were a whole bunch of people, and they're very vocal, who felt all hope is gone. There's no hope for our country, uh, uh, you know, with, with our current president. Believe it or not, by the way, there are Christians on both sides uh, of that issue. Now, I have an opinion uh, on such matters, and how others feel doesn't affect that opinion, but that's not what I'm talking about this morning, and not what I would talk about uh, from the pulpit. Here's what I want to talk to you about th this morning. The message of the Bible is this, no matter how bad things appear, and our feelings about things change daily. They change hourly. You know, we're just flip-flopping. It's good, it's bad, it's, there's hope, there is no hope. No matter how bad things appear with God in your life, you never have to give up in despair. That's, uh, that's uh, the book of Colossians is all about that. Relationships fall apart from time to time. Careers stall. Your job may seem like it's a dead end. Uh, school may seem like an unending nightmare. But with the Lord in your life, there is always hope. When you lose hope, you're really in trouble. 
And with the Lord, there's always hope, and it's to him that we have to turn. So in about A.D. 60, while the Apostle Paul was a prisoner in the city of Rome, uh, and he was going to die in Rome eventually, but while he was there, about 60, 61, 62, uh, he wrote a letter to the Christians living in the Roman uh, city of Colossae. It was in the Roman province of Asia in modern-day Turkey. If you want to look at a map, if it means anything to you, right about in the middle of the map, you see the, the, the crosses with the yellow circles around them and the crosses with the red circles around them all represent churches. And right about in the middle of the map, there's Laodicea with a red cross and Colossae with uh, a, yellow, uh, a, sur- a yellow surrounding the cross. Uh, that's in modern-day Turkey. You can kind of see, you see the, the, the boot of Italy way over to the left, and you see the Greece, pen, Greek peninsula hanging down uh, in the middle, and then Turkey, and then all the way over to the right-hand side, you see Damascus and Sidon and Tyre and uh, Caesarea and Jerusalem and so forth. That would be uh, modern-day Syria and Israel. So you've got the Mediterranean world. Colossae is a real city uh, right there in the middle of the Mediterranean world. Paul was writing to probably predominantly Gentile people who lived in a predominantly non-Christian society, and he showed them how to stand against the tide, how to live for Christ in a non-Christian environment. Their, their very understanding of who Jesus is was under attack. People, that's the first thing people try to do is attack who Jesus is. He's a good guy, or he's partially divine, or he's somehow related to God. Uh, But to be a real Christian, you have to believe and know that Jesus Christ is the very God of heaven. There's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are one, and Jesus is the very God of heaven. And Paul dealt with some of those issues through his book. So for the next few weeks, at least for the month of March, we're going to examine Paul's letter to the Colossians and learn what we can about how to live against the tide. By the way, I found it interesting that, that Colossae was not a huge church. The town of Colossae was actually uh, in decline. Paul the Apostle evidently never went to this city. He just knew this church by reputation. Uh, he knew a couple of people there. Uh, a couple of those people had been in Rome with him. One guy was still there. Another was a slave by the name of Onesimus that he sent back to Colossae uh, to his master there to serve together for Christ. Uh, and and that's, uh, that letter is the book of Philemon in the New Testament. So these are the, some of the connections between pa- the Apostle Paul and the city of Colossae. So this, uh, this church and this declining town called Colossae was still important enough for Paul uh, and God uh, for Paul to write this inspired letter. And today's subject, we're just going to look at this. What's so great about being a Christian? What's so great? about? I think he was trying to show the people this. Uh, Why have tens of thousands of people over the history of Christianity been willing to die for their faith? Why are some of the people who are sitting in this room willing to volunteer, sacrifice their time uh, through their church? Why are some people sitting in this room willing to give sacrificially uh, as part of their church? Why are we willing to go out of our way for the cause of Christ? In the opening verses of the book of Colossians, Paul talks about three things we can expect to happen when we decide to follow Jesus. Three good things that come from being a follower of Christ. Three reasons why it's important and good to be a Christian. So let's read Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, which starts like this. Remember, this is a letter, so it says Paul. Now, that's, this is who the letter is from. 
we put our name at the end, but you know, if you get a letter, you hardly ever get one anymore, but you get an email, uh, you, you want to know who it's from before you start reading, right? So you'll go to the, to the bottom, or maybe you read the, the line at the top, or look at the uh, return address on the outside of the envelope. In ancient letters, they just put it at the start. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So this letter is from the apostle Paul, and, and he includes the, his younger a uh, 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 guy who's with him, younger pastor, younger minister, younger guy that following him in the ministry, uh, uh, his, uh, his companion uh, on missionary travels, a guy who later became a pastor. Uh, and he identifies himself as an apostle. Paul is not one of the original 12 guys, you know, the original 12 apostles. But like them, he had been especially chosen and appointed by God to be the apostle to the Gentiles. The word apostle just means one sent forth with special orders. And when applied to the 12 and to the apostle Paul, it speaks of a special office of men who were sent out by Jesus with special authority to spread the gospel and to start churches around the world. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, verse 2 says who it's to. It's to, this is a letter, to the saints and faithful brothers or brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. A little bit different spelling of the word, but the same city. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this letter is addressed to the saints and faithful brothers in Colossae. The word brothers includes brothers and sisters. It's a masculine form, but it means all of the Christian there. It refers to, the, to God's people in the city of Colossae. It refers to the church in Colossae. The word saints in Scripture is just a word that applies to all believers. Uh, it means you used to belong to the devil and now you belong to God. You used to be headed for hell and now you've been set apart in the family of God and you're going to heaven. In fact, that phrase there, to the saints and faithful brethren or faithful brothers, it means to the saints who are believing brothers in Christ. Uh, and so that's what saints are. And he says grace and peace, and that's always a part of Paul's normal greeting to us. We'll talk about those a little bit more as time goes by. Verse 3, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. I'm not going to take a lot of time about prayer this morning, but prayer is so important as we pray for each other. <clears throat> so uh, he's thanking God for them, praying for them. In verse 4, since we heard... Now, since we heard may indicate that he'd not been there. He just heard about them. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. Faith in God and love for others go together, don't they? We've heard about your faith in God, in the Lord Jesus Christ, your love for all the saints. It reminds me you know, of uh, one of the, the, the themes around here where uh, the, in Matthew chapter 22, I think it is, uh, 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 the Lord Jesus Christ was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, here it is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And the second one is like to it, that is you can't have one without the other, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so we have here, uh, he heard about their faith in Jesus Christ, which, which, which brought out from them the love for all the saints or all the other Christians. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, verse 5, because of or, 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 or this faith and love are because of or they grow out of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel or the word of truth which is 
the gospel. We notice that grouping, uh, uh, you know, you've got faith and, and you've got love in verse 4 and then hope in verse 5, and Paul likes to put those things together. Faith, hope, love, or we, we, we might have heard it if we grew up in church using the King James Version of the Bible, faith, hope, and charity. That's the way you live successfully, you know. How do I know the Bible tells me so? Well, faith, hope, and love, Paul puts them together a lot. Faith rests in the past work of Christ. We, our faith is based on the fact that Jesus died for us. Love works in the present. Love is the way we serve God and do what God wants us to do. And hope anticipates the future that we have in Christ and is our motivation. And even though love is the greatest of these, you know, Paul said that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there's these three, and the greatest of these things is love because love is never going to go away, and the purpose of love is never going to, to go away. One day our hope will be sight, one day our faith will be sight, but love is always going to be a part of who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. So even though love is the greatest of these, faith and love grow out of or spring from the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, that hope is, is our, our, our confidence, our earnest expectation that Jesus uh, is for us, that Jesus will keep his promise, that Jesus is away preparing a place for us and that he's going to come back and get us and take us to that place. Verse 6, speaking about the gospel, which has come to you, the gospel has come to you, and it has also, as it has also in all the world, it came to you, everybody's getting the gospel about the same time, and it's bringing forth fruit. It's changing people's lives. It's, it's, it's powerful in God, as it, also, as it is also among you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. So this, this gospel has come, and it is powerful, and, and, and it, it is the truth of God. The truth about the grace of God, the truth about the gospel is this, that it's just all about grace. It's not about grace plus works, and it's not about faith plus works. It's just all about the work of Christ. It's all about what Jesus has done for you, how he died on the cross for you, and how that if you will, uh, uh, if you will put your faith in him, if you will put your life in his hands, he will save you eternally. And then verses 7 and 8 close like this. As you also learn from Epaphras, now this is a man, Epaphras is the guy, he's in Rome with Paul, he's the guy that might have originally started the church and presented the gospel to the church uh, in Colossae. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So here's this guy, he's in Rome with Paul. He's, there's Paul's connection with the church at Colossae, and obviously Paul thinks a lot of him. Wouldn't it be great if Paul could say of you, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf? So uh, back to our subject. There's, there's the text we're going to look at, but back to our subject, which is what's so great about being a Christian? I think we're going to get back to that hope idea and spend some time on it, but there are three things we can expect to happen when we decide to follow Jesus daily. So let's look at that. The first one is this. Following Jesus gives me a reason to be optimistic. That's the, the hope idea we're going to look at. Uh, we need some hope. We need to be optimistic about things. We need to, to know that good things are going to happen in the future. We need to know that, that, that someone cares about me. Someone thinks I'm important enough to invest a little something uh, in me. So we're going to take a look at that. Go back to verses 3 through 5. Colossians 1 verse 3 says this, we give thanks 
to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Wow, you know, wouldn't that be a great thing for anybody to say, for Paul to say about you? Whenever any of you says to me, I've been praying for you, Pastor, it always, it makes me feel a lot better to know that somebody cares. And I know you do, but the fact that I I think about it is important. So the apostle says about this, this church, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, your love for all the saints, verse 5, because of the hope, springing from the hope, growing out of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of what you have heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. You heard it in the word of truth which is the gospel. Now, I said earlier, hope energizes faith and love. Hope builds up faith and in love. If we believe that God is large and in charge, if we believe that God is in control uh, of all things, if we believe that God is at work in everything, if we believe that Jesus is away preparing a place for us, it energizes our faith, our trust in God. It enables us to love other people as Jesus taught. You know what, what hope is? Hope. Here's what hope is not. Hope is not wishful thinking. That's what we get Uh, We get the idea sometimes that hope is just, well, I I wish this would happen. There's not much of a chance of it, but I I wish it would happen. That's not hope. What hope is, hope is sensible optimism. Hope is optimism. Hope is belief that something is going to happen, and it's a sensible thing. You know, there's something behind it. There's a basis for our hope. What is the basis for our hope? Well, it's just in one word, it'd just be this, Jesus. Jesus is the basis uh, of our hope. Our hope is based on Jesus' victory over sin, over hell, and over death, and his promise that he's going to come back again. Now, uh, I referred to this uh, earlier, but in John chapter 14 and verse 2, Jesus said this, and he's getting ready to, uh, not long before his crucifixion, and he knows he's going to be going off and leaving his followers behind, but he says to this to them in, in John 14, 2, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, the word mansions simply means a place to live, a dwelling place. And and he's saying to his followers, I'm not going to be around here much longer physically present for you. I'm going to be off preparing your final place. And one day, you and I, we're all going to live together in the Father's house, forever in the house of the Father. Uh, now, I know uh, uh, maybe some of you would like your kids to move out. Uh, we all kind of want our kids to do that someday, don't we? We, we? we like to have them around, but eventually we want them to move out. Uh, but we're going to be moving back in. It happens a lot with kids, too. We're going to be moving back in to the Father's house one day, and it'll be a wonderful thing. And then Jesus said in verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, if that's really what I'm doing, I'm going to come again. What, what would be the purpose uh, uh, of going and preparing a place and not coming back for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and, and, and then I'm going to come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus said, I want you to be where I am. I want to take you to be where I am. Because of Jesus, our hope gives us the assurance that everything is going to work out right. Even if things don't look good right now, The hope that we have in Jesus says everything is going to be good. Everything is going to work out all right. Uh, Our hope uh, in Jesus gives us the assurance that God is taking care of the details, that God is working 
on our behalf. The author of Hebrews wrote this in Hebrews 13, 5, for he himself, for God himself has said this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's your hope. I will never let you down. It reminds me of a book that I've never read, but I just love the title of, uh, by Richard Carlson called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And it's all small stuff, subtitled, simple ways to keep the little things from taking over your life. Isn't that what happens to us? We kind of lose hope. And, and, and we focus on all these, all these little problems that we have that won't go away, some of them, and, and they seem like humongous problems, like nothing could ever make them better. But when we focus on the fact that, that Jesus is our Savior, that God is in charge, He is in control, He's taking care of the details, I do what I'm supposed to do, and I do not have to worry about how things are going to turn out. We approach a new job, we can put it in God's hand. Approach a new relationship, uh, put it in God's hands. Go into a new bench, business venture, we put it into, into God's hands. We move to a new place, we put it in God's hands, but because we know God is working on our behalf. And this is not just wishful thinking, it is sensible optimism. It is based on experience of the past. Not primarily, but we have that in our past. Now, let me... Uh, uh, mention this caveat here believing that everything's going to work out fine doesn't work for everybody but it works for those who know Jesus and are fully committed to him that's what I'm talking about not just oh everything will be fine don't worry about it. everything will be fine doesn't matter what I do doesn't matter what I believe doesn't matter where I go doesn't matter anything now I'm not saying that at all okay I'm saying for those who trust Christ as their Savior and are fully committed to Him, we can say, I'm doing my best. Uh, Jesus is at work. I, I don't have to worry about it. Everything that happens in our life is not and will not be good. You've heard this scripture many times, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. God works all things for the good of those who belong to Him. Now, if that is you, then God is working on your behalf. And, 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 you know, you think about life. God usually doesn't give us all the details concerning what he's doing in our lives because then there wouldn't be any faith involved. Most of the time, we just trust him without knowing exactly how things are going to turn out. Now, that's life. You know, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. We know God's in charge, and, and we know that he's at work, but we don't know how things are going to uh, turn out. But we can know that everything will be good. Everything will be okay because God has made a promise to us. And that gives us a reason to be optimistic. It is our hope. This hope then gives us the ability to live by faith in God and to trust Jesus with the details. After talking to the uh, Colossians about faith in Christ Jesus and their love for all the saints in verse 4, the apostle writes that these are, as I've said before, the results of, or Colossians 1.5, because of, they spring from, the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. So what Paul is saying here is that when we build our lives on Jesus, when we build our lives on the hope that we have in Christ, in the goodness of Christ, that sense of optimism generates faith. It builds up our faith and it builds up our love for others. What's, what's your greatest obstacle in stepping out in faith? You, maybe you know that God wants you to do something or try something uh, uh, want you to move somewhere, want you to try something new, want you to give something. What's your greatest obstacle in stepping out in faith? Probably fear of the unknown. I don't know what might happen 
if I do that. I'm not sure how things are going to turn out. I may get embarrassed. I may, I may lose some of my stuff, you know, if, if I do this. But when you have hope that is built in Jesus, a sense of optimism that God is going to be working in this and, and, and that you may not have everything you had before, but you're going to be doing what God wants you to do. God's going to work it all out, then it suddenly becomes, if not easier, then at least uh, more, more sensible to you to trust God. Now, uh, just illustration, I look back upon my life, uh, I think about uh, Jean and I are going to be celebrating our 45th wedding anniversary this week, isn't that great? She has put up with me, how it's happened, I, you know, I couldn't really tell you, I'm not that analytical. But you know what I remember? I remember, and I met this, this, this little girl, she was 19 when I met her, and 20 when we got married, and, uh, uh, and I remember that, that once I proposed to her, and then we got married, I never worried about whether we were going to make it or not. Never, ever worried about that. I just assumed we would because that's what God wanted. Now, there's a little bit more to it than that. We'll get to it in a minute. But, but I just never worried about it. I remember when Todd got ready to get, get married, and he came to me, and, and, and Brad had done exactly the same thing. He said, Dad, how'd you know Mom was the one? How'd, she know, how'd you know she was the one? And I'm going, hmm, how did I know she was the one? <laughs> I did come up with a good answer, by the way. Uh, but uh, uh, we don't have to get into all that. But when, when, when Brad and Todd were born, I never worried about whether they were going to trust Christ as their Savior one day. I just knew that they would because I knew that's what God wanted. And I never worried about whether they were going to follow Christ in their life. I prayed a lot. <laughs> I prayed a lot about it, but I didn't worry because I knew that was God's will. I knew that's what God wanted. Now, in both of those cases, I learned a lot that there were some things I needed to be doing. And, 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 and to the best of my ability, I did those things. I made it a priority, but I never despaired about it. And by the way, from the very beginning, I was pretty stupid, pretty ignorant about things. But I always knew this one thing, put God first. I knew that from the very beginning. I knew you had to do that. Put God first. And, and, and so I knew if I put God first that we were going to make it. And we have. At least up till today. We may not make it until Thursday or Friday, but, uh, but up until today. And, and it's been a lot Jean's part, by the way, a lot Jean's part. Because she was smarter, knew more about it than I did. <clears throat> and, 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 and I don't know what's going to happen in Brad's life tomorrow and into the future. And I don't know for sure what's going to happen in Connor's life, but I have certain confidence about it. We don't have to give in to despair because God gives us a reason for hope. And so that's one of the main, best things about being a Christian is that uh, God, Jesus gives me a reason to be optimistic. Now quickly, two more things. Second thing is this, following Jesus gives me a handle on the truth. I can know what's right and what's wrong, what's true and what's false as a follower of Jesus. In verse 5, Paul refers to the word of truth of the gospel or the word of truth, which is the gospel. <clears throat> we live in what's called a postmodern society. Postmodern society from a philosophical standpoint means that many have abandoned the idea that truth is possible. At least there's no absolute truth. There's truth for you and there's truth for somebody else. There's truth for this society and truth for that society. And, and, and you hear things like what's true for you may not be true for me. Now, the Bible... While the Bible and most philosophers of all time 
say that a true statement is one that corresponds to reality. Postmodernists say there is no reality. There is no reality. So, you know, you just say whatever you want, do what you want. Now, I'm not going to try to define postmodernism in a few sentences, but I'm just going to simply say this. The difference that Christianity offers the, uh, a postmodern world is that we believe, even in this age, that truth exists. That some things are always right and other things are always wrong. And these are not determined by cultural climate or personal whim. They are determined by God and made known to us through His Word. Always right, always wrong. I read a funny little story. <clears throat> I think it was a true story. It was a tra- I was attracted to it because one of the main characters is a guy by the name of David. And we have a lot, a lot of Davids around here. But David was a youth pastor. And one day his senior pastor, we're going to call him Jim because that's what he was called in the story, preached a great sermon called It's Always Right to Do Right. It was a rousing sermon. That evening, Jim and David were headed for a meeting. David was driving, and they were running a little behind time. And so uh, Jim says, step on it, man. We're going to be late for our meeting. And and, and David wouldn't go any faster because he was always going the speed limit. And so Jim looked over at him, and he said, hey, I said, step on it, and that is an order. And with a cockiness that could only come from a 23-year-old, David said to Jim, I take my orders from God. And God tells me to obey the law, and the speed limit is such and such. And besides that, it's always right to do right. I should have said David is the former youth pastor, by the way, of of that church. But, of course, he had it right. He had a handle on the truth. God's laws don't change simply because you're late. The Bible makes it clear. Obey the law. Now, life is filled with all kinds of shades of, of black and white, gray, Uh, however when you make the choice to follow Jesus he lays out a foundation for absolute truth in your life that will guide you through the trouble spots when somebody tries to get you to bend the rules God's word gives you clear direction as to what you should do of course if you haven't read it you don't know what you don't know what it is so you got to spend some time with it but when your employer wants you to take advantage of a client uh Uh, God's word gives you clear direction on what you should do there when the person you're dating wants you to compromise yourself sexually God gives you clear instruction on how you should behave when you're faced with the opportunity to do a little something shady in whatever area to help you get ahead to make a little money or whatever uh, God's word gives you direction God's Word, the Bible, helps you recognize the difference between right and wrong because there is right, and when you do right, you will be blessed for it, and when you do wrong, ultimately it it hurts you and the people who are around you. So following Jesus not only gives me a reason to be optimistic, but it gives me a handle on the truth. gives me some place I can go, and I can say, this is right, and that is wrong. And when I do what is right, God is going to bless and guide me, and when I do what is wrong, there are consequences that must be paid. One last thing. Following Jesus gives me the ability to make a difference. Everybody wants to have an impact in this world. Everybody wants to leave something behind. When you choose Jesus, you know this. If you follow him, your life will not be futile and wasted. You won't find yourself sitting in a rocking chair someday saying, what's the reason for my existence? 
what, what's, what's going to be left behind here that makes any difference? Maybe I made a lot of money or, or maybe I got famous or whatever, but, but what am I going to leave behind that really makes any difference at all? When you make the choice to follow Jesus, you can live your life every day with the assurance that your efforts to serve him will produce positive, long-lasting, eternal results. Paul says that when you commit to following Jesus and dedicate yourself to doing the work of the gospel, your efforts will bear fruit. Uh, Colossians 1.6. Last verse we're going to read from our text passage says this. The gospel, that's carried over from verse 5, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit. The gospel is producing fruit. The gospel is changing people's lives. Romans chapter 1 says it's the power of God with reference to salvation. So this, this gospel which has come to you like it has all the world and is producing fruit, it's changing people everywhere, is also among you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. Let me read that to you in the New Living Translation. We do that a lot around here. Read it in a different translation. Helps to understand. New Living says this for that verse. This same good news, this gospel, that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. You do the work of the gospel you, you allow your life to be changed by the gospel. You trust in Christ. You follow him. You can share that with other people and have an eternal impact on their lives. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. The gospel can change your life. The gospel is not some social problem. Uh, uh, project, which not, not all social pro projects are bad, but I'm not saying that, but the gospel is the power of God, the very power of God to change lives forever. And, and, and when you serve Jesus and when you live by the gospel and you share the gospel, your life is never at risk for being a waste. So if you want to spend your life doing something that will change history, serve Jesus. If you want to spend your life doing something that will make a difference, follow Jesus. When you reach out to others in his name, you're doing the work of the gospel. That might be serving in a soup kitchen or discipling new believers uh, or witnessing to a neighbor. But the gospel always bears fruit. The gospel always gets results. And, and when we do that, it gives our lives eternal significance. So what's so great about being a Christian? Well, following Jesus uh, makes despair obsolete. I feel despair sometime in my life. You ever feel despair in your life? I, I, I have a feeling we probably all do uh, because we're not focused on Jesus like we should be. But when you follow Jesus, you have a reason to be optimistic. He's working on your behalf all the time. God's in control. God's in charge. When you follow Jesus, you get a handle on the truth. This is what's right and this is what needs to be done. I, I know some of you have said this and I've thought it and I've heard it Many times in the last 50 years or 45 or 50 years, I heard people say, I wish God would just write it down for me and I'd know what to do. Well, he did. You know, he did. It's in his words called the Bible. And we go and we read it. And we gotta, he writes it down. You got to go read it. So you have a handle on the truth. And then finally, you have the ability to make a difference. The gospel. In the beginning, God created everything, including people. And he made people perfect. But he also made them like we are in this sense, free will. 
to choose whatever they wanted to choose. And the first people chose to rebel against God, to sin against God. They thought they knew more than God knew. And they did learn something from their sin, but I think they wished they didn't know <laughs> after it was over with. And, and, and God already had a plan to take care of that because he knew it was going to happen. And his plan was to send his son, who is God himself, into the world to die on the cross for the sins of all people of all time. So that all any of us have to do, we, we can't do anything on our own, all any of us have to do is place our faith and trust in that Savior who died on the cross for us. Just pray to Him. It's not a matter of saying some specific words. It's not an, a, a matter of, in, of chanting uh, some ritual. It's just a matter of me going to God and saying to God, okay, I, I, I know. I know me. I know what I am. I know that I am so far from perfect that, that I can't even see perfect. And I have messed up so many ways that I, I, I'm not even sure how to get back. And I know I can't make it on my own, but I know Jesus came and died for me. And, and so I'm, I'm placing my life in your hand. No, no holding back here now. No holding back, no uh, uh, everywhere except over here. But I'm just placing my life in your hand. Whatever you want, that's what I want. I am going to do whatever God says. Yeah, that's, I'm just placing my faith in, uh, in Him. He saves you eternally. Not gonna, you're not going to get it all right once you trust in Him. You, you will not get it all right. But He'll always be there for you. And that's what Paul is saying about you. know, He said it, this gospel, this power of God that, leads to sal that brings salvation has gone out all over the world. And it's working in people's lives everywhere. Started working in you. It's working everywhere. And so the first thing about the gospel this morning is that each one of us needs to know that we've trusted Jesus as our Savior. Now, still haven't gotten it all right. Trusted Jesus as my Savior. And then the second thing we need to do to know is that one thing, I think the only thing that, uh, uh, that, that I knew for sure as a young guy, and I knew this, you put God first. You put God first. And you mess up and you do all kinds of stupid things. And, and sometimes when I think about the kind of husband I was to start with, I wonder how in the world have we managed to stay married? But one thing we always did together is we put God first. And when you do that, you get all these advantages of what it means to be a Christian. Let's pray. Father, I know you're here with us. I thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace, for the way you've been with us so that we could uh, place our lives in your hand. And, and I thank you for loving us in our stupidity and forgiving us in our sin and always being with us regardless of whether we were thinking about you or not. I just thank you, Father, that you're here with us today. And I ask you to give us the grace. We, we can't do it on our own. Give us the faith. We can't do it on our own trust you and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.